Acts chapter 22. This actually picks up from the previous chapter where Paul is taken as a prisoner and in this chapter he gives his defense before this this mob of people that would have uh, certainly taken his life had God not uh, brought about an intervention through the Roman soldiers at this particular point in his life. So listen now to the word of God and the testimony of the Apostle Paul in his defense for the truth. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silent. And he saith, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? The Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, Make haste, and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, 
and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience unto this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was freeborn. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his band and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. The Lord bless the word as it's been read and now as it is preached to the glory of Christ. Our text this Lord's Day is from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. Proverbs 22, verse 3. And I read for you that verse. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. The Jews had the foresight to discern when the weather would be fair or foul, by looking to the sky to note various changes there, the Lord Jesus had said. But they were altogether lacking in discernment as to the judgment that would befall them should they reject him as their Savior. Something so much more conspicuous than the signs in the clouds and in the sky. They had no discernment in that regard. How often do we ignore, dear ones, various warning signs that come to us through the Scripture, that come to us through preaching, that come to us through godly advice and counsel, and carelessly walk into temptation and sin, suffering great pain and heartache because we did not take seriously signs as conspicuous as flashing red lights with danger, written all over them. Perhaps we did not heed those warning signs put before us because of our curiosity. Our curiosity was aroused, and so we proceeded forward to see what all this danger is all about anyway. Or because we only wanted to flirt 
with that temptation for a, a brief period of time, thinking we could extricate ourselves and remove ourselves from that situation just at the right time before we fell into peril. Or perhaps we went ahead and did not heed those signs because we rebelliously pushed our way past those danger signs, not caring at all what might befall us. Regardless of the cause, whenever we do not pay careful attention to God's flashing lights and ringing bells at those train tracks in our lives and ignore God's warning signs, we will sooner or later uh, suffer very serious ill effects when the consequences of those decisions level us like a speeding locomotive. From our text this Lord's Day, in Proverbs 22.3, we shall consider the following two main points. First of all, the prudent man wisely flees from evil, according to Proverbs 22, verse 3, the first part of that verse, which says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. And the second main point being this, the simple man carelessly falls into evil. Proverbs 22, verse 3, the second part of that verse, which says, But the simple pass on and are punished. Let us consider then the first main point. The prudent man wisely flees from evil. The Hebrew word for prudent a room may be used in a negative sense as when one is crafty or shrewd or subtle and uses his mind to devise wicked and evil plans. As we see, this word is used in Job chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 12. There we read, Speaking of God, he disappointeth, that is God disappointeth, the devices of the crafty, there's the word, a room, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. So we see this word prudent may be used in a negative sense of someone who is shrewd and crafty. Or it may be used in a positive sense of one who is wise in applying knowledge to practical situations in his or her life, as we see here in Proverbs 22.3. According to Solomon, those who are prudent in the right sense of this word ignore personal insults when others are angry at them, according to Proverbs 12.16. <clears throat> They don't immediately retaliate. They will rather flee from those insults than aggravate and provoke them. Furthermore, the prudent man does not boast about his knowledge, according to Solomon in Proverbs 12:23. He's not a boastful man, lifting and exalting himself in what he knows. And yet... The prudent man does make decisions according to knowledge, as we see in Proverbs 14.8. He's just not boastful about his knowledge, but he does have the knowledge to make 
wise decisions. And finally, those who are prudent, we see in the book of Proverbs, are not gullible. But consider rather carefully what to believe and what steps to take in making decisions, according to Proverbs 14, verse 15. And let me read that verse for you. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Here there are three ingredients <clears throat> to making a right decision. Three ingredients to making a right decision about what to, is to occur in the future. First of all, we must have the right motive, which is love for God, if we would make the right decision. Second of all, we must have the right standard, which is the Word of God, so that we can judge whether the act meets with God's approval or not. We must study the Bible to know how we are to behave now as well as in the future. The right motive and the right standard. And thirdly, we must consider the right consequences of our decisions. The right consequences. The right consequences are that there, it should, every decision should have in mind that it benefits man, both ourselves and others, and glorifies God. Supremely glorifies God. Those, dear ones, who are prudent, consider not only the short-term effects of decisions, and listen carefully, the sermon is built around this concept. Those who are prudent consider the long-term effects of decisions as well. They look into the future as they have the ability to do so, to see where the decisions they make will likely lead them. Those who are prudent are not existentialists. By that I mean they don't simply live in the present. But they look to the future to see what the consequences will be of the decisions they are presently making in the here and now. They are prudent because they foresee the good and the evil that are likely to come from decisions they are presently making. And accordingly, they hide themselves from future evil by finding shelter in wise decisions that are presently made. Another characteristic of those who are prudent is that those who are prudent will therefore not make hasty, rash decisions. They will take, if you will, the following steps to make wise decisions and avoid evil consequences down the line. Let me give to you some of the steps that we should be taking 
as we make decisions about the future, first of all, those who are prudent will consider ever so carefully what God says about decisions we make. We will go to the Word of God. We will say to ourselves, what does God say? What does God think about this decision? Listen to the wisdom, dear ones, that comes to us as we do consider what God has to say about various decisions in our life. And David writes in Psalm 119, verses 97 and following, Oh, how love I thy law! It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Beloved, remember that we have no warrant from God's word to seek his will in daily decisions that will affect us in the future if we are not seeking to do what we presently know to be God's will right now, right today. For Jesus left us a, a principle in regard to seeking God's will for our lives, whether it's concerning various decisions we make or other matters. When he said in John 7, verse 17, if any man will do his will, that is presently do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. The application that I would make from that verse is we cannot expect God to give us more information, give us more insight, more understanding if we're not appropriating the understanding and the insight is presently given to us with regard to decisions here and now. Simple acts of obedience to what we know God wants us to do here and now. If we are not obeying God now, how can we cry out to God, help me to understand what I should do in the future? God is not going to give us further information, whether through his word or through prayer, through providence, if we do not here and now, obey him. So the first step to making a wise and prudent decision is to consider what God says. The next step, those who are prudent will listen carefully to the godly advice and counsel of church officers, parents, and mature friends in the faith. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20. We read, Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Listen to the counsel now of those who are godly and faithful that your latter end 
the end of your days may be, go well with you. Proverbs 23.9 speaks to the same effect. When it says, <clears throat> Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. So if we're not to speak into the ears of a fool, because he's not going to hear you, it, it implies that the one who is wise will hear the godly counsel that is given to him. Dear ones, it is generally not a good idea to take a pull of as many people as possible when you have to make an important decision, lest one become more confused than enlightened. Rather, it is wiser to select a few counselors who have the experience and maturity of Christian knowledge and spiritual warfare in the trenches who have been Christians for many years and wrestled with various issues. It's much better to look to the counsel of those rather than simply indiscriminately taking a poll as to what should I do about this or that. <clears throat> Another step to making wise and prudent decisions is this. Those who are prudent will pray diligently that God's Spirit will grant them foresight and insight and seeing where their decisions will likely lead them. We believe the Holy Spirit does give enlightenment. We believe the Holy Spirit, in answer to prayer, will give us insight and understanding. And so we cry out to God to grant us that foresight. Thankfully, dear ones, we are not limited to our own short-sightedness in making decisions. But may call upon the Lord to open our eyes to see whether we are sowing in righteousness or sowing in corruption into the decisions we make, and therefore whether we will reap a crop of righteousness or reap a crop of corruption in the future. So many presently sow seed in making foolish decisions concerning the future and then pray for a crop failure once they begin to reap what they have sown in the past. Dear ones, let us learn now the important lesson that the sad consequences of our foolish decisions usually catch up with us. And when they do, it's not a pretty sight. The last step, making wise and prudent decisions and no doubt you could add others to this. I'm simply giving you a list of those that I consider to be most important. Those who are prudent will also consider who will likely benefit or be hurt by the decisions they are now making. For example, if you are faced with a temptation to sin, and the warning signals are loud and clear that there is evil lying in the path ahead of you, you are then faced with an important decision that you must make at that point in time about the future. And not simply a decision about the present. Because as we stand before temptations that come into our life, there will be consequences in the future to the decision we make as it relates to those temptations that we're presently presented with. 
Will you jeopardize your welfare and the welfare of others? Will you sacrifice your testimony for Jesus Christ? Will you see the evil but not flee from the evil? Will you flirt and play with the temptation like a small child that is caught up in playing with matches? If so, sooner or later, just like that child, you'll be burnt. However, God graciously grants to the prudent man the ability to weigh out the future consequences of his present decisions and to flee from even the appearance of evil according to 1 Thessalonians 5.22. To flee from the appearance of evil for his own sake, for the sake of others, and for the glory of God. I want you to understand, dear ones, that this grace of prudence is not a natural ability that we possess. It is a supernatural grace that is given to Christians who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and it is a grace which all Christians have in varying degrees. As we will consider in just a moment, there are those examples within biblical history, examples to follow. Believers who did exercise prudence and were rewarded, and believers who exercised foolishness and were simpletons, at particular periods of time, and suffered the consequences of those decisions as well. It is a grace which God gives to us, which was purchased for us by the Lord Jesus Christ when he died upon the cross. He purchased the gift, the grace of prudence for us. It's not something that we have to, we have to buy that we have to bargain for. It is a grace that we simply trust God and obey God to receive. We trust the Lord. We seek Him. God, give me prudence in making future decisions. And then, as we have said up to this point, we seek in the present to live according to what He has revealed to us. We listen to others. We listen to the Word of God. We listen as we pray. We direct our steps according to God's Word. Consider for a moment from the pages of Scripture a prudent man who saw evil in his path and hid himself from it. Joseph had wickedly been sold into slavery by his brothers. His Egyptian master had placed him in charge of managing his whole household. His master's wife, however, had evil designs for Joseph. Let us pick up the biblical account in Genesis 39, verse 7, where it says, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the, in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. 
neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. <clears throat> this temptation came day by day to Joseph. Joseph saw the evil that lay before him and he had a decision to make. Would he give in to the lust of his flesh at that present time and suffer the consequences for it later on? Or would he foresee the evil and flee from it? Indeed, we see in the word of God that Joseph did flee, leaving his very garment in her hand. Seeking no time to be even with her. Trying to avoid at every turn the temptations that would be presented unto him. But someone asked, did not Joseph suffer terrible consequences? because he fled from this evil. He was cast into jail, into prison, by his master, because his master's wife lied about him. Yes, there was consequences that followed, not due to his evil decision, but due to the evil of others. He stood for the truth, and we are told that, in fact, we will suffer for righteousness' sake. When we take a stand for the truth, there will be consequences. But when we do so, the Word of God encourages us to rejoice because we are suffering just like Jesus suffered for the truth. We are demonstrating that we belong to Christ when we suffer for righteousness' sake. It is an encouragement to our faith that they persecute us because we stand for the truth of God, not a discouragement. Joseph saw the evil and fled. <clears throat> God did ultimately reward Joseph. Because as we continue to read the end of that account, God did exalt Joseph to second in command in Egypt, by which Joseph not only saved himself, but preserved his whole family from famine and starvation, and preserved all of Egypt because he obeyed God, because he resisted the temptation, because he fled from the temptation and fled into the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was his security. Dear ones, God would have us know with certainty that we who are Christians are not slaves to sin and temptation. We do not, as Christians, have to give in to the temptations that come knocking on our door. We do not have to answer the door by the grace of God. 
Because Jesus Christ nailed our old man, our old sinful man, to the cross with him, the scripture teaches. So that we are no longer slaves to our sinful appetites and desires, but we have the power through the Spirit of God to say no. And those temptations come. Not in ourselves we, do we have this power. But in Christ we have this power to say no. Not to live a perfect life, for sin continues to plague us. But sin shall not have mastery and dominion over you, because you are under grace. You are under the covenant of grace, the promises of God, the power, the strength of God. It's promised to you in that covenant of grace, which you can receive simply by calling upon his name. Furthermore, dear ones, there is, when we do fall, an endless supply of grace to, to grant us forgiveness. That even when we fall, it is not the end of the story. Praise be to God. There is forgiveness and compassion for the Lord our God to, to grant us a repentant heart to cause us to hate evil and to love righteousness, to lead us to endeavor even new obedience after we've fallen into that sin a hundred times before or a thousand times before. And we can, by the grace of God, rise again and proceed forward, trusting in Jesus Christ, who is our strength and our righteousness. Yes, God may discipline us as his beloved children very severely for the sinful and foolish decisions we make. There may be catastrophic consequences that follow from our, from our foolish decisions. But God brings these into our lives not because he hates us, but because he loves us. The evil, the evil of God's punishment or the evil of those consequences has been removed. God designs good things to come out of even those terrible consequences that befall us. If we simply trust him, turn from our sins. He does so that we might learn by experience that when we touch, touch a hot stove after being warned time and time again, we will feel the effects of our sin. We will get burnt but not as righteous condemnation against us, but rather as loving chastisement for our spiritual good, if we do, in fact, know the Lord and trust Him. Dear ones, <clears throat> God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. As Christians, we are indeed set free from having to make foolish decisions and sinful decisions but listen to this we are not set free from the consequences that follow those foolish decisions because God is not mocked whatsoever man soweth that will he also reap and let me leave this with you as well to be forewarned by all of these warning signs that God sends our way is to be forearmed and ready to meet those temptations that come our way. 
to prepare ourselves at the very outset of each day to meet these temptations by prayer, by communion with Jesus Christ in His Word and reading His Word, by renewing our covenant with the Lord so that we might not sin against Him, so we might be ready to meet those temptations, that we might have the foresight to see the evil that lies before us and to hide ourselves from that evil. Sometimes we think perhaps the courageous thing to do is to go toe-to-toe with our besetting sins. And so we place ourselves in the most tempting situations possible to, to show that we can overcome these sins. Like the drunkard who goes to battle with his drunkenness by fre- frequenting the bar and being around all of his fellow drunkards and then cries at the last moment, Lord, save me from this temptation. It doesn't work that way, dear ones. When we see the temptation, we are to hide ourselves from that temptation if we know how susceptible we are to falling in that area. You know, this is simply to tempt God to place ourselves in those situations. It's not wise. It's rather foolish. As foolish as throwing ourselves down into the path of a racing locomotive and then saying, God, save me from the consequences. Certainly a temptation does, as it were, ambush us. We must fight to the death against that temptation. And when we see the temptation from a distance and can avoid it by fleeing, how much more prudent to do so. Let us therefore follow the example of Joseph in fleeing the evil temptations that daily confront us. And rather than fleeing into the temptation, let us flee into the arms of Christ. Something else I would leave with you, dear ones, on this first main point. Let us not only hate and despise sin, but also let us learn to hate and despise the temptation to sin. Let us learn what the significance of that prayer is in the Scripture, in the Lord's Prayer, that particular petition, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into, the, into various temptations, Lord. Cause me to so hate and despise even the temptation to sin that I don't put myself into those places. Do not, Lord, lead me into those places. For, dear ones, if we enjoy the temptations that are offered by sin and try to get as close to the edge of the canyon as possible without falling into the canyon, it is just a matter of time before we will fall to our pain and heartache for not heeding the most gracious warning signs that God gives to us all along the way. Second main point is the simple man carelessly falls into evil. According to Proverbs 22, verse 3, and the second portion of that verse, which says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, 
But the simple pass on and are punished. The Hebrew word for simple, pati, comes from a verb which means to be open, spacious, wide. For the simple person, dear ones, is wide open to various kinds of enticements and seductions to sin. The simple man has not matured in the grace of discernment and prudence in properly evaluating what the consequences of his decisions are likely to be as it relates to the glory of God and to the benefit of others. Our text simply describes him as a person who sees the evil, but despite all the warnings, his lust, his curiosity, his passion, his selfishness, whatever it is, drives him to walk that path anyway to his own painful punishment. Here's one whom the world describes as broad-minded. Broad-minded, because he's willing to entertain whatever is presented to him in doctrine or life. His own insecurity continually drives him to try this or to try that. He's all over the map. He is gullible and open to suggestions and temptations of sin because he does not have a firm foundation in God's Word. He does not enjoy daily communion with Jesus Christ. And so he is the prey of these temptations and these suggestions that come from outside and from within. I ask you a question, dear ones. As the world considers broad-mindedness to be such a, a blessed estate, to be broad-minded, the question arises, are Christians narrow-minded? I answer, absolutely. We are narrow-minded. We will state without any apology that we are narrow-minded. And we are narrow-minded because God's truth is not relative, but God's truth is absolute. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. There are not many ways to God. I am the way, Jesus said. There are not many conflicting and contradicting truths of God. For Jesus said, I am the truth. There are not many who can give eternal life. For Jesus said, I not only give life, but I am life. I didn't have a beginning, and I won't have an end as to my eternal deity, my God, my, the essence of my nature as to being God. I give life, but I am life. Everything that we see about us is because it was given life by Jesus Christ. He is the Creator. Jesus Christ alone, dear ones, is the way, the truth, and life. That's narrow-minded. The Lord Jesus also told us in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, that the broad way is the way that leads to destruction. But the narrow way is the way which leads to everlasting life, and few there be that find it. 
It is the openness of the world, dear ones, to every deceitful lie and cunning temptation that drowns them in the sea of eternal punishment. And if that is what comes from being open-minded, we must flee from being open-minded, being simple, and rather be narrow-minded and prudent. I speak to everyone within the sound of my voice today, but I especially call the young people and the young adults to hear what I say because so much of your life is before you. Save yourselves from a world and possibly an eternity of misery and heartache. Listen to me, children. Save yourselves from a world of misery and heartache by not being worldly and open to whatever suggestions the world may bring your way, whether it's in the form of music or fashion or sex, or drugs, religious ideas, what is cool and what is not cool. There are a few of us older adults present today who can tell you what severe consequences have followed for foolish decisions we have made in our lives. Listen to those who are older and more experienced in life than yourselves. Invite the counsel of those who have learned the hard way. Learn from our errors, from our sins, and from our mistakes. Don't repeat them. I leave the example with you of one biblical individual that we should not follow as it relates to seeing sin and yet toying and playing with it rather than fleeing from it. Samson was a man supernaturally empowered by God to do amazing feats of strength. He killed a thousand Philistines with the mere jawbone of a donkey. He carried off the gates, the huge gates of a city on his back and left them on top of a mountain. He killed a lion with his bare hands. But despite his physical giftedness, he was very weak and simple when it came to temptations of women. You'll remember how Delilah, a harlot, was bribed by the Philistines to find out the secret of Samson's great strength. She fled with Samson. She flirted with Samson. She entertained Samson. She was relentless with her solicitation to tell her the source of his strength. But rather than fleeing as Joseph did, the temptation set before him, Samson flirted and played with him until he gave in to it and was humiliated suffered the punishment before God's enemies. Yes, the Lord graciously granted Samson forgiveness, repentance, but he died a sudden, violent death with God's enemies. Samson flirted with temptation and was sorely chastened. Joseph fled temptation and was greatly rewarded. Dear ones, in the past 20 plus years of my pastoral ministry, I have counseled many who deeply regretted foolish decisions they have made in the past. Decisions which led to imprisonment, children being born out of wedlock, abortion, HIV, the virus that leads to AIDS, unhappy marriages, divorces, loss of family and friends, 
loss of credibility due to lying over and over again, loss of health. This could go on and on and on. How they would love to have it to do all over again, so as to avoid the suffering, pain, and misery of those decisions. Although they could not relive their past all over again in those situations, what I was able to give them was hope to Jesus Christ. Because no matter how big of a mess we have made of our lives through our foolish decisions, Jesus Christ is able to give us new life. He is able, even if he doesn't remove the consequences of those decisions, to give us a new hope and a new perspective. So that we can learn through what we have experienced and we can take what we have learned to help others to avoid these pitfalls ourselves. I close with a true story about a true believer who was tempted with sexual sin but did not heed the warning signs that God set before him believing he could apparently avoid the consequences of those particular warning signs and the consequences of his decision, he committed adultery. An unplanned child was the result of this adulterous relationship. And still trying to avoid the evil consequences that would befall him from this decision, He had to get the husband out of the way and even plotted the death of this woman's husband. He came to realize the evil of what he had done. And in Psalm 51, we see the testimony of David. Listen. Ever so carefully as to what God can do in your life and mine in spite of the foolish decisions we have made in our lives. If we will turn our lives over to Christ, if we will seek His forgiveness, if we will walk ever so faithfully before Him. David cries out to God, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, truly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. I skip down. Verse 9, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Listen. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. See the result 
of one turning to Christ, no matter how foolish and simple they were in the decisions they made, God used David. God used David. God made a covenant with David that he would bless him and he would bless his posterity. And that covenant he made with David is simply a typical covenant, a representative covenant of the covenant that God has made with us through Jesus Christ, who is the greater David, who did not sin, who never uttered a word of anger, said anything wrong, thought anything wrong, who sinned in no way. And yet, this David went to the cross to suffer in the place of sinners. The sinners who have made such a mess of their lives might have the hope of serving the Lord with the rest of their life here upon the earth and for all eternity know the glories of heaven. What a gracious and benevolent God we serve. He does not sacrifice his righteousness and his justice because all of that was poured out upon his Son that we might enjoy his love. The Lord invites you, dear ones, today to turn to him. No matter what has occurred in your life, turn to Jesus Christ and learn, dear ones, learn to receive the advice and the counsel of those who have walked a path and have learned from their own mistakes, listen to what is told you so that you too can avoid so much pain and heartache that lies before you. These are God's warning signs to you. Heed them and live. Please stand with me in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank Thee this day that Thou hast given to us a reminder both of Thy power, a power, Father, that is greater than even the wind we hear now, a power, O Father, that is able to take sinners who have completely messed up their lives and to make something beautiful out of those lives. A power that is able to take an old creation polluted and corrupted by sin and make it a new creation in Christ Jesus. O Lord our God, we do pray for ourselves and our children that Thou would teach us to heed warning signs that we might be prudent and when we see evil ahead that we would hide ourselves and be safe rather than walking into it carelessly, without caution, and suffer punishment. We pray, Father, that Thou would speak to us this day, that we would not forget Thy Word, that it would rest upon our minds and our souls throughout this week, throughout our whole life, O Lord, that it would be firmly implanted into our minds. We ask, O Lord, our God, these things in Christ's name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, 
in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.